This episode is brought to you by MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink, inspiring public curiosity about food. Learn more at mofad.org. This week on Meet and Three, we bring you stories about the coldest, darkest season. We start in a California vineyard. It's cold, but it's wet, and things are still alive. There's a lot of life in this soil. We explore two frontiers of cocktail culture— luxury ice, and the rise of non-alcoholic drinks. The rocks traditionally becomes 25% of your drink's volume, and as such, it imparts smells and tastes. And we investigate the risks facing New York City delivery workers during the harsh winter. In the wintertime, after two hours of biking, it's quite easy, actually, for the bikes to sing upside down or slips or slide. Tune in to this week's episode of Meat and Three, that's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E, for some food for thought to sustain you through the dead of winter. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Food Without Borders Radio, a show about food, politics, and identity. I'm your host tonight, Leah Kurtz, and in the studio with me is Amy Quichitz of Veggie Mias. Um, Veggie Mias is a women of color, non-binary folks of color collective in which they highlight the importance of a plant-based lifestyle while also intersecting with race, gender, identity, class, and sexuality. Being brown, Latinx, non-binary, women, queer, gender queer, and coming from working class background and having other marginalized identities. They're passionate about spreading awareness of the lack of resources to healthier options in the hood, animal liberation, and environmental justice. It's a platform where women and folks share their families' recipes, their own recipes, and talk about why being vegan has connected them to their ancestral roots. Amy, welcome to Food Without Borders. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. We're great. We're, we're really happy to have you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so first, I wanted to ask a little bit about where you're from and maybe one of your first food memories or yeah. what you grew up eating. Of course. So my mom is Colombian and my dad is Peruvian. Um, I grew up I grew up uh, eating a lot of Peruvian food. So a lot of dishes are very like seafood-like. Or also um, papa la huancaina, which is like potatoes covered in cheese and things like that. Um, so very like dairy-based foods. Um, and then Colombian food is very meat-based. Um, but I honestly didn't like a lot of like the meat stuff. I just ate around it, like the arepas with the rice. <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely I would say like Peruvian food was something I really like enjoyed and also enjoyed in the past because of dairy and stuff. Gotcha. And you were born in New York? Or yes. you're from New York? Yeah, I was Great. born here. Okay. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so tell us just a little bit about Veggie Mijas and mm-hmm. how it got started and kind of what that means, a collective, like yeah. what kind of, that kind of means for your work. Um, so Veggie Mijas actually started with with my friend and I, uh, Mariah, and we were like in college and we were like, yo, we're not eating well, like we need to eat better. Let's like share recipes with people. 
Um, but then college got like in the way and we didn't do that. So I was like, okay, Mariah, like, I think I'm just going to make it a collective. She was like, yeah, go for it. And I was like, okay, because I want to know people's recipes. I want to know what people are doing. Like, I want to find more people like me, um, especially because in college I became vegan because of two folks of color. Um, but then when I got out of college, I didn't have anyone else to like share the journey with. So I was kind of like falling back into old routines so i wanted to make sure to find people that i can connect with um so veggie mijas was such a great way to do that i found so many people like just here in new york city and then out of nowhere people were like hey i want to do the same thing in other cities um and oakland started opening up then la and then so much more cities just started uh creating their own veggie mijas chapter so it kind of just grew from there um and i'm so grateful to have so many people like do this collective with me because it's like everyone you know it's not just me um so everyone has been putting in the work to make it a collective and how many uh chapters are there now so now there's like 10 okay great mm -hmm. and they're mostly located in the u.s or are there any outside of the US? um there's not any outside yet um but there is people that are interested so like people from like peru have hit me up or people from like canada has hit me up so we'll see but for now like there's only it's almost it's always growing though like there's like 10 now but there's gonna be like 14 like next week because people have been hitting me up and like we're scheduling talks so it's like growing every single day and what does it take to start a chapter with mm -hmm. veggie mijas like what are the kind of parameters or what defines it yeah um i think is like i set them up with like a phone call with me and we talk about you know why it's important for them uh we talk about their time right to be um conscious of that and it's really like up to them like for example in miami like they're very environmental based so now they're having a lot of like clean beaches day and things like that and then here it's more about like making connections because we're such a big city um so like having potlucks and like different kinds of events for that so seeing like where they're at and what's their mission within veggie mijas for so sure. it's not necessarily about just the food you're yeah, roping it's in about a everything. lot of other issues mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. definitely yeah so, I mean, it takes a lot. It takes not as much. I mean, it's more of like, I feel like it's a siblinghood, like a sisterhood siblinghood. Um, it's like kind of like a sorority. <laughs> like you literally just like call and then you tell me what you, you know, what your plan is. Um, and yeah, we go from there and see and see what happens. Um, and like I give them like a bunch of tools. Um, you know, they meet the other group. We have like a whole group meet of like all the people that are in Veggie Mijas. It's so cute. Um, and yeah, and like we go from there. So it's really, really inclusive. Like no one's out like just like go, go do whatever you want. Like it's kind it's it has structure, but also has leisure to do whatever you want it to be. And then the platform on Instagram is kind of where you talk about the individual people that are on it, correct me mm -hmm. if I'm wrong, and share some of like the things that are going on. Is that the central platform, Instagram? Yes. So on Instagram, we share like the events that are happening. We share who's in the team. We share uh, how the events went um, and overall just like what we're doing. But mostly what we're doing is like through talking to each other and you know talking on the phone like there's so much more that happens that people don't see on instagram um there's actual work and community community work done mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and to dial it back a little bit what um prompted you to become vegan 
Um, so in college, I was like a hardcore feminist, like everybody knew because <laughs> I studied women's and gender studies and sociology. So I feel like once you open that door, you're just like feminist, feminist, feminist. <laughs> um, and a lot of like my friends were like, okay, well now you should learn about veganism. And I'm like, Ooh, what's that? Um, but luckily my friend was Dominican and my other friend was Cuban. And then they were like, okay, here, like, this is what, you know, this is the problem. Um, and they made me watch Earthlings. Uh, <laughs> so then I saw that and I was like, yo, never again. Like, I will never again eat meat. Um, and that was it. Like, it was a, it was like a cut, like a cut, like a very dramatic cut. I didn't like slow down, go into it, nothing. Um, and then ever since then, I was like, I can't be fighting for everyone's justice and then take a break and eat. And then knowing that my food isn't part of the justice that I'm creating. Um, so definitely um, a lot of reflection during that time and like why I was vegan. But at first, just like at first, just like feminism, I was like vegan, 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 like hardcore, you know, and the way that you're exposed really to veganism isn't all inclusive so i was all about like the animals at first which i completely still am but it was just that focus um so i was like animals 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 um and like i was like pita 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 and like it was just like you know all of these like things just like feminism you're like first exposed to like only white feminism um so then with time i like found out why how it affects people of color and you know all of the, this new door and I was like now this is the kind of like radical veganism that is needed and you know I read the book Sister Vegan I started reading more like content from folks of color um and, and just yeah. for reference Sister Vegans by Dr. Amy Breeze Harper just for people mm-hmm. that you want to check it out mm-hmm. it's very good mm-hmm. um so yeah so then from there I was like okay like this is something that I need to like show my folks you know back in my community And going through that was, wow, like a whole new world. (laughs) Like I went home and I always tell people like my mom and my dad were like so surprised. They're like, you came back from college and now like you're gay and vegan. Like, what's up? (laughs) It's a beautiful combo. Yes, (laughs) the best combo. Um, So then I'm like opening the refrigerator and um, I'm taking away like all the dairy stuff, all the meat stuff. Um, and I'm like, we have to go to the supermarket and buy everything new. And they were like, what the hell is going on? Um, but it was so funny because they were like, what the hell? But then after a while, like they were like trying things new and they were like, oh, this is actually delicious. Like blah, blah, blah. And my mom, she's Colombian. So my, my grandma didn't really teach her how to cook. Um, so basically she learned everything on her own. And my mom really learned from YouTube uh, with this show called Cocinando con Wendy, which is actually funny because now on Vegemijas we have a segment called Cocinando con, like cooking with anyone. So like if some if people send in their recipes, it'll be like Cocinando con Jessica or something like that because that's, of like that's my so mom. Great. Yeah, so my mom learned through there, so that's why it didn't affect her as much to like kind of just change the dishes because she was like, oh, okay, I'll just learn something new. It wasn't something that was like completely attached to her. You know what I'm saying? So 
for her it was actually really fun to like learn new recipes and now she makes like bomb vegan food like she makes like everything that we used to eat vegan and it comes out like amazing because like now wendy apparently does vegan dishes what? on youtube <laughs> like in spanish and my mom's like yo it's like wendy's my friend like she actually full yeah full circle <laughs> so it's been really fun with my parents they completely understand why i'm vegan i mean sometimes my dad you know like he'll be like do you want ceviche and i'm like no dad i've been vegan for like four years and you still ask me like there's obviously gonna be those kind of things because like you know that's our culture but at the end of the day they do understand like i showed my mom earthlings i showed my dad what the hell and like i'm always talking about it and at first oh my god when i told them they were like me they were like yes you're so right we went to barbecues and my dad would be like oh my god amy's vegan now because of this and this and this and it's amazing like you should all go vegan how can you guys eat like all the meat and now they're like back to eating like little seafoods here and there but we don't eat meat in the house at oh, all. Wow. There's no animal products in my house except for eggs, and sometimes they use that. So it's it's been a real like amazing progress to see that. Yeah, and that's such a role reversal of like teaching your parents mm -hmm. new recipes and how to cook when traditionally that's like it goes yeah, the other way usually. Definitely. And like my mom, she also learned new vegetables. Like she didn't know what an eggplant was before. Like I went to the house and, you know, introduced an eggplant. Um, she didn't know what kale was. Like all of these like little things that uh, go back to our ancestral roots and like you know eating from from the plant i always say like from from the ground i always say like if there's an apocalypse or something like do we really know how to survive you know what i'm saying like do we know how to plant our own food do we know what to do with like those yerbas like mm, <laughs> some of us would survive but not a lot like it's true and that is a gap within a lot of people who are vegan where mm -hmm. they're actually more reliant on industrialized foods than yeah. knowing how to farm or even being interested in farming Literally, and growing their yeah. own food. Mm -hmm. And it is a time, you know, mm -hmm. constraint too, because it does require a lot of time it does. invested, but it still does. it's should, you would think it would be yeah. stronger, but maybe mm -hmm. do you feel like within the collective, there is more consciousness around growing food and, um, or just, even awareness around the labor implications yes. within the food yes. system of foods that are hashtag vegan and mm -hmm. cruelty free, but aren't necessarily ethically produced. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we talk about all aspects of that and even our events like we've had working at community gardens um, for the city in the Bronx. And, you know, we took like the whole day basically to grow and like, you know remove the weeds and like do so much labor that we're like oh my god like this is so much work but it's so much fun too you know um and through those events like we've you know growing food is so powerful it's so powerful especially when you're doing it with other people and in the community so other people can see you doing that uh people were walking over the community gardens and being like damn i didn't even know i had a garden here like Wow. People like that lived right there. Um, this one woman, she walked in the garden with her little with her little kid, and she was like, and the little kid was so happy. She was like picking out basil and mint. She was like, "Mom, can we take this home?" And the mom was like, "Yeah, of course." Like you know, the lady came in from the garden. She was like, "Yeah, take it." Um, this other man walked in and was like, "I used to grow jalapenos back in my day. Can I come and grow them?" And then he was like, "Yeah." Like it was just such an interactive thing with the community and. People really need to see the power in growing your own food, especially 
um, in the community and seeing how that impacts them for sure. Um, we've had events where we do plant and sip and we like plant our own um, little foods, our own yerbas in the little pots and we like paint them and we talk about the importance of growing our own food and uh, appreciating the people that are doing that kind of labor for us, you know? Um, so there has been definitely conversation about that for sure. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a quick commercial break and then we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink. Featuring a variety of interactive displays, MOFAD encourages eaters of all ages to be curious about food. The museum currently operates MOFAD Lab, a 5,000-square-foot experimental space in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, where Chow, making the Chinese-American restaurant, is currently on show until the end of March 2019. This exhibition celebrates the birth and evolution of Chinese-American restaurants, tracing their nearly 170-year history, and sparking conversations about food culture, immigration, and what it means to be American. It highlights the evolution timeline of Chinese-American restaurant menus, dating back to 1910, and also highlights a tasting section where participants get to enjoy tastings created by the country's most talented chefs who specialize in Chinese-American cuisine. Make sure you check out Chow while you still can. The exhibition closes at the end of March 2019. Check out MOFAD's tastings and extensive event calendar at mofad.org events. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Coral Lee, and I'm the host of Meant to be Eaten here on HRN. Every week, I look at cross-cultural exchange in food and contemporary media. What determines authenticity? What, if anything, gets lost in translation when cooking foods from another's culture? You can find Meant to be Eaten wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome back to Food Without Borders on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Leah Kurtz, and in the studio we have um, Amy Quichitz of Veggie Mijas, which is a collective for women of color and non-binary folks of color um, surrounded around the um, intersection of veganism, um, sexuality, identity, and um, reclaiming kind of ancestral stories and roots through plant-based food. Um, Amy, welcome back. Hey. <laughs> so we were just discussing the significance of recipes and cooking and food um, and also growing food as a way to kind of like reclaim one space and also just to learn and kind of like learn about where your food is coming from. Um, I'm really curious about some of the actual dishes that um, have been popular on the platform with the collective or even ones that you've cooked with your parents, like maybe what some of those specific ingredients are, flavors are that you've veganized, or if there's new kind of like combos that have come mm-hmm. out from like local produce, but Peruvian or Colombian dishes. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been so amazing because I finally, my friend Nova, um, she made the papalawancaina, the dish that I always used to eat as a kid, vegan. So my mom now makes it vegan and it's like so delicious. Um, so there's that recipe. There's also so many recipes like caldo de res. What's in the first one that you were talking about? The papalawancaina. Mm-hmm. It's like 
Well, it's a secret. Also, oh. also, also, <laughs> also, there's a cookbook coming out for Veggie Mijas, so it's going to be in the cookbook. So that's okay. Also, okay. You know, oh wow! When does your yes. cookbook come out? It comes out this month. Oh my gosh! Yes. Congratulations! <laughs> I do remember you posting about yeah. that. Now that's so exciting. <clears throat> um, for how long have you been working on that? Oh my gosh! Since it's a massive undertaking. Yeah, it is. Since I think since before November, okay. October. October, yeah, and Food Empowerment Project donated the money, um, some money to go to the illustrator. So you know that was paid for. Uh, but the that's so great, Lauren. Yeah, sh- amazing, wonderful. amazing. Yeah, so Lauren, shout outs to you. Um, so yeah, that comes out this month. I'm so excited because there's so many delicious recipes. Like all of the recipes that you know you think like, damn, can that be vegan? Like. Yeah, like recently I just came from UC Santa Barbara and they were like, oh my gosh, I wish I could be vegan, but you know, I'm Salvadoran and we have like these soups that like you really can't be, you know, you can't make vegan. And I'm like, which soup? She's like, sopa de patas, which is like legs. And I'm like, there's an amazing vegan Salvadoran chef um, and her name is Veronica and you should follow her on Instagram. It's vegan feast by V and she does all of the soups that you ever want to make in, you know, she makes all the Salvadoran uh, foods vegan. She's like, what? And I was like, yes, like there's people now, you know, there is representation now, like in veganism, like this is like a whole new world. Like people, if you want a recipe, you probably can find it or like just hit us up in Veggie Mija. Someone will know how to make it. Um, so it's really, really inspiring to see that people, you know, they're like, oh, I can't be vegan because of my childhood dish. And I'm like, we can make that vegan. (laughs) (laughs) That could be like the subtitle of your cookbook. (laughs) Damn, that's vegan. (laughs) Yeah, literally, (laughs) literally. (laughs) And I, but I mean, what you kind of going back to what you were talking about in the beginning, comparing, feminism and veganism mm-hmm. uh, which it's it's always kind of frustrating when um people are very strong feminists but don't see the connection to other mm-hmm. forms of suffering but it's even more frustrating with this idea that the mainstream versions of both of those things are incredibly white and incredibly Definitely. i i'm sure alienating if you're not white and yeah. you feel like well i have no place in this and and especially when it comes to food because like you and I felt this way as a Midwesterner. I mean, I'm white, but like I, I grew up eating a lot of meat and potatoes, and this idea that you're giving up your family memories and the flavors mm-hmm. of your of your identity, which is even more important definitely. if you're you know not represented. Definitely. And so meeting that need is incredible. Yeah, definitely. And you know, we did talk about that because it is hard, like memories and stuff like that that you would uh, attach to food. But you also want to question yourself through the process of decolonization, like how strong are these memories that are attached to these pro- these products that are literally, like, killing you? Or, you know what I'm saying? Like, how how important that is to attach it so hard to, to the cruelty of the system, basically. So it's hard. It's hard to have that conversation because especially people don't want to hear that, you know? People don't want to hear that and people don't want to admit that because um, they still want to continue eating those foods, which I don't blame obviously um but it's definitely important to have that conversation and to question that for yourself and a lot of our foods only go back like one or two generations Mm -hmm. and you're kind of digging into the histories that are much further back Mm -hmm. and perhaps predate some of the kind of more colonial Mm -hmm. institutions that have that are now what is the food system today yeah yeah 
Um, I was seeing this interview and it was like from the people from that wrote on the decolonize your diet and they were seeing how like they were saying how like they found research on like some like colonizers books and like they were saying how like Mexican food like in some ways like they they had like different shapes of like tamales and like different like I don't know like different colors or something like that and I personally just know one shape of it right and it's like you we really have to discover like how much they've taken from us um through that process how much did they change things how much did they influence our food that we eat now um i think that's so important because if we're saying that this is our culture like what is our culture then you know um so i always try to ask myself that for sure um also when i went through the process of veganism i remember and i always talk about this story how like uh i came home and i brought quinoa to my dad and i was making it and he just like laughed and i was like why are you laughing and then he was like because i used to eat that when i was like really poor in peru and like that was the only food we had um my mom used to heat up the quinoa and like heat up the apples and like you know she's they we all used to eat it when we didn't have another um you know another dish to make and i was like damn this shit is mad expensive like <laughs> and like quinoa was like the new trend or whatever and i'm like damn i didn't even know like this was like low-key peruvian um so even then i was just that i felt like that opened the door more into the conversation of like okay what else did you used to eat like what else what other tools did my did my grandma used to um make things with um and then like finding out through like instagram that like there's like 380 potatoes in peru and i'm like damn i've only had like three like wow yeah so it's like it's like literally a whole new world and i tell everyone all of like all the time like i'm like you think veganism is limiting but what you're eating is limiting you're literally eating like eight animals and you're like ranging through those eight animals (laughs) like there's so many new vegetables so many new fruits that we haven't even tried yeah, do you think you would have been prompted to ex- to even look at food or think about food that way if not through? I mean, do you think you would have come to some of those conclusions in another way? Like beyond um like the vegan, you know, kind mm, of gateway. No. No, I think definitely not because we see in commercials all the time like we see what other people are eating, we see what our family's eating, we see like it's just all the same thing. Like there's no expansion to like what is what is there unless like you go to like another person's house and like they have like a completely different culture and blah 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 blah. but even then like you would still stick to your regular routine of like the eight animals you like rotate (laughs) and not questioning it yeah definitely definitely so you wrote an article recently that Mm -hmm. was incredible um Mm -hmm. right self so can you talk a little bit about what that article was and maybe some of the feedback you've gotten since then yeah so the article highlighted why um it's important for us for the people of color the women of color the non-binary folks of color from veggie mijas why it's important to be vegan for us um and that article covered food deserts um it covered the um inhumane labor that goes into the farm factories um, and it covers basically just the violence of capitalism <laughs> through a lens of a vegan lens. Um, 
And that article meant a lot for me. I literally worked on that article for so long with the editor. And when it came out, I was like, yes. <laughs> like, people will know the truth. <laughs> um, but yeah, the feedback I've gotten was amazing. Like, completely amazing. Everyone was so supportive. Um, I remember there was, like, one comment that was, like, horrible. But then we all laughed. It was, like, this white guy. He was like, boo. They'll do um, that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but everyone's like, shut up, Josh. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it was amazing. Um, and, and it made a lot of people think. Like, I've gotten... Um, a lot of responses being like, I'm not vegan, but like, wow, this like really made me think about my consumption and like, I'll definitely do better, like blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, the feedback was amazing. And I think that everything in that article was was important to highlight. Like, for example, I always talk about, um, you know, how we think about the injustice in every single way even in veganism there obviously is injustice within like far like the fruits and vegetables and stuff like that the crops but also just the violence that goes through the trauma of killing these animals and you think like yeah like nine to five like i'm gonna go kill like 500 animals and then go back home like it's not easy you know and these people can have that kind of trauma and bring it to households and bring that violence to households. Um, so it's like all a cycle and it's, and it's an important cycle that people should, should realize. Yeah. And I, I was personally surprised that, that they didn't edit out some of the mm. more very leftist and really beautifully written thoughts that you have about kind of framing veganism within a very left very kind of radical context that is yeah. built upon challenging structures of power can Definitely. you talk a little bit about that? especially within i mean our culture has always been terrible <laughs> like the u.s is never really been very mm. wonderful at all but especially since it's just very obviously like no shame um in how terribly racist uh, our culture is becoming and and continues to be um yeah, was that, I mean, did you have to fight for some of those lines? Um, I definitely, <laughs> I feel bad talking about it, but it's fine. Um, I definitely feel like there was, there was a lot of like <clears throat> back and forth, especially with uh, quotes that people have said. Um, so like, for example, there was like this one quote where like we, you know, the person mentioned every single like, fast food company or something like that mm. like like brand names of like what they did and what like why that's terrible and then you know editor was like no let's just like say like companies instead of like naming them and I was like I'm sorry like no you know um but then under like the we did like under the the click of companies you can see like what company specific so like we found loopholes together um, that didn't erase the whole story. So there was definitely that. Um, but other than that, like, we literally just talked it out. I felt like the editor understood what I was saying. The only thing was that, you know, self-readers, they can't... Sometimes it's all about, like, health and, like, you know, smoothies and things like that. So this was a piece that wasn't, you know, done before. Um, so it was kind of like you know, going back and forth through it, but very understandable, just being like, okay, people are not going to know what this is, so maybe just explaining this more and things like that. So that's why it took a while, because it's also like, I don't want to teach 
let's say white people because you know white people are the mostly that reads them like i don't want to teach them everything but also i do want to make them understand why this is important so it's kind of like it was finding the balance of it for sure mm-hmm. yeah certainly self is like the platform that you it maybe it needs to be said in most but you would expect it the least it's yeah. not like new left review or jacobin yeah, or something definitely. although they don't let you really write a lot of that <laughs> stuff either they're not so pro and that is an interesting idea mm-hmm. of like the left is not very pro animal mm. um and that needs to change as well definitely but it is great that and and any piece you kind of it is a balance of what's going to engage people but not push them away, yes. but also keeps it true. Because in this piece, you were featuring, uh, you know, individuals and their mm-hmm. stories. Definitely. So it's important to, like, hold true to those mm-hmm. quotes. For sure. For sure. Um, it was very interesting also to mention about, like, food deserts. Um, and because, like, where I live, it's mostly, uh, like, if you go outside, you can literally just find a Popeye's and... Dunkin' Donuts like that's it (laughs) like around my house and a deli that doesn't even have like bagels or anything like it's literally just a gas a gas station deli like yeah and I'm just like okay (laughs) um there's no vegan options or like vegetarian options even like um so definitely talking about that and why why you know these are the options that capitalism has given to us and we have to acknowledge like what we're putting in our bodies like they're literally making the choices for us and we don't even acknowledge that. Um, and if we do, the folks that are like, they're not pushing for the strive of, you know, non-animal um, consumption and things like that. So just questioning both both questions as well. Yeah, and while the solution to that is definitely systemic, what's advice that you do give to people who do live in communities where all they have are fast food chains and like small bodegas that don't have fruits or vegetables? Mm -hmm. That's hard. I feel like it definitely would take community and not just one person to do that. Um, But I mean, from my point of view, I know that um, Joanna, I remember we were, we only have like a deli around like her previous house. Um, and we would be like, yo, like you need to get vegan cheese. Like people are getting vegan now. He's like, what? Like no way. And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bring vegan cheese. And then he brought vegan cheese like for us. So, and then yesterday I was in the supermarket and so like I saw this article. Sorry. I like jump a lot. I saw this article and it was like, people are drinking more like soy milk or like different alternative kinds of milks rather than like dairy milk. So I was like, oh, that's dope, you know? I wonder what supermarkets. But then I go to my supermarket and, bro, like, it's literally, like, all silk milk, like, all, like, so- like almond milk, like, this whole section of, like, different kinds of milks. And the dairy milk was, like, small. And this is, like, my childhood, like, you know, supermarket. Like, obviously, there's, like, still mad meat. But you know what I'm saying? Like, there was a change. And I was, like, I told the guy. And I was, like, you see how, the the owner, I was, like, you see how there's so many milk alternatives now? And he was, like, yeah. And I was, like, you need to bring vegan cheese. Or at least have, like, a little small vegan section. Because people are turning vegan now. Like, this is our generation now. And maybe if you bring it, you can see what happens. He's, like, hmm, okay. Like, definitely. So, 
he heard me out and like maybe he'll bring it maybe he won't but the guy in the bodega the other guy did um so definitely asking your community having that conversation you know with people seeing what kind of change you can make in your own community don't wait for white people to gentrify your shit and then you see vegan shit all over the place just because white people came um stop trying to make veganism only a white people thing um don't give them that much credit for first of all um so definitely advocating for your own community for sure yeah and realizing these are human beings that place food orders mm-hmm. and maybe if you go in and they recognize you and you have a relationship like yeah, yeah you like, like what you did exactly like my dad like he knows this guy since like forever like we've been going there so like me asking him it wasn't like out of the blue like he's not like oh this like white little girl like or like you know brown little br- whitewashed girl like he knows me so that was like another co- another great like um community just talking about like what's important to us and like what's gonna be important for us for sure yeah um so in the last few minutes i just wanted to talk about where we can find your work like you were talking about your cookbook coming out so is there any for many more information about like where that's going to be sold um how people can find you and veggie mijas um your Instagram handles or your website or anything you want to share about what's kind of coming up for you in 2019. Yeah. Um, so you can find us at veggiemihas.com and the cookbook will be on the website under shop or like tienda. I think it's, it, it is. <laughs> um, and they can find me on uh, Veggie Mijas, the Instagram. Um, and what we have coming up is just definitely a lot of like events in different cities um so this weekend we're gonna have like a homemade dumpling event so we're gonna learn how to make dumplings with vivian lee uh for um the lunar new year so that's gonna be so exciting i'm so excited to learn um and yeah just so many different events like we're having yoga and healing in washington dc um we're having the beach cleanup day and talking about environmental justice uh in miami um, on February 24th, we're having a fir- the first Phoenix chapter meeting on uh, this Sunday. So to be caught up with all of it, go on our Instagram. If you identify as a woman or non-binary uh, person, you can also just go on our website and see the join our collective list. And we have tons of positions, tons of new things that you can do with the collective and or either just join the national collective list. So the National Collective List is where you can put your name, your email, or and then optional your pronouns and your ethnicity in order to see what, um, how many people are vegan that are women or non-binary in your city. Um, wow. So we have like different tabs on a Google Doc and it's like over like 20 states and you can find people in your own state. Um, I've known people that literally are like four people in the Ohio list and like they like hung out and now they're like best friends <laughs> because That's of the amazing. list. Um, it's amazing what you see what you see in the community like people come into the potlucks and they're like oh i hung out with her yesterday we went to the j balvin concert and i'm like yo like that's literally what it is about like going to like these ratchet ass little concerts in the hood like together but like you know make it radical um so yeah definitely joining our collective through that through that that's great and Mm -hmm. 
What can white people do to help support your work and give That's up some privilege? That's an amazing question. So what they can do is if you're in a, in a city and let's say you like you own a restaurant or something and you have um utensils or anything like that that's like from a restaurant or something you can definitely talk to an organizer and see if they need anything um so like for potlucks and stuff you know donating those kind of things um money always for the donations for the new projects we have and they can donate on your website yes so on the website you can see the information for the handles for donations um and yeah and then just spreading the word for sure Okay, great. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for being on Food Without Borders, Amy. Thank it's you been so wonderful much for to talk to you. <laughs> and we'll be back next week with a new episode. In the meantime, thank you so much. We're on heritageradionetwork.org and you can find us also on Twitter, Instagram. We're also available to listen to on Spotify, iTunes, and Stitcher, as well as on heritageradionetwork.org. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.